0: a major problem in Christianity, one that you mightn't even be aware of. You see, the scripture that we just read there talks about John calling Jesus the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Well, guess what? The Lamb was not the sin offering. In other words, where what is the problem here with regard to why would John call Jesus the sin offering when in fact what was offered for a sin was not a lamb now you may not have noticed that and you might not have come across that before and it's probably it's a little bit challenging for me to address this at uh, from the front, because I don't have a lot of time to explain it to you, but hopefully I've got enough time to be able to open up some information for you, to challenge you, to get your thinking, to get your, your, the juices going inside. That problem for centuries has caused a lot of problems with theologians and, and scholars. They've not been able to fathom it out. Why would John call Jesus the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world when a lamb was not what was used for a sacrifice for sin? I think we can come closer to the answer when we start to look at some aspects of what was going on in Jesus' day and in that particular situation. And so that's what I want to do with you today. I want to show you some things. I want to challenge your minds. I want you to start to process some of these things. And hopefully by the time that you go home, these things will still be churning over inside you. Because I believe John said that purposely. Not accidentally, but purposely. So we need to find out what was it that he was purposely trying to communicate All right, so if we can go to the next, next, yeah, thank you. I want to show you something. I think some of this, some of the actual geography and the landscape of the Holy Land, in fact, helps us to understand some of what is going on in this particular situation. If you can see, and I'm going to try and point, this down here, Bethany, and I can see if I can hold it still, Bethany across the Jordan, because there were two Bethany's, but this particular one, which is down here close to the Dead Sea, was where John was baptising. John the, John the Baptist was baptising. And that was also the area in which John lived. Because it was the area in which John lived... He, he was able to... Obviously, that's, that's where he lived and resided and did all of the, the baptisms. This area was uh, right, as you can see, right on the Jordan River. But this area is famous for a lot of things. And historically, in the day, the, the people that were coming to be baptised by John then would have known all of these things. Firstly, we have Jesus coming down here. He had to travel quite a distance, presumably, to get down to where John was. So he had to come across from Nazareth, down the Jordan Valley, which was pretty sort of arid and and even though there was a, a river running through it, down to Bethany. Now, a few other things that happened in that particular time that you might be aware of is that that's also where Joshua took the Israelites across the river into Jericho. That was the first battle that that they fought when the Israelites, after coming out of Egypt, they were then in the wilderness for 40 years. Then they went across from Bethany down here across into Jericho. They were going into the promised land. So that trip from here across to Jericho is very important in the understanding of the Israelite people. It's a a journey to the promised land. This is also the area in which Elijah travelled across from here across the Jordan with Elisha and gave Elisha his mantle. In other words, Elijah being a very, very powerful prophet doing many, many miracles and he then gives the mantle. In other words, he gives all of his giftings over to Elisha and that's what happened when they travelled across. He spread the waters there of the Jordan River and travelled across. Powerful again. It speaks of giftings and about the power of God and about a whole lot of other things. The river has actually changed... when, If we can go to the next, next screen. The river, the river used to be probably a lot... That's in and about the area that, um, that John would have been baptising. And that river, though, probably would have been more gushy and rushing because at the moment what they've done in Israel is they've diverted the top end of the river to, to irrigate various parts of Israel and so we don't get as much streaming down that river these days as what there used to be. So it was probably pretty treacherous to cross. What we need to start to discover is, so what did this mean then to the Israelite people? Being there and when Jesus then, having been baptised, even though that scripture that we just read wasn't about the baptism as such. It's about the time of when the baptism took place. So Jesus, if you can imagine, is on one side of this river and then he, he actually gets baptised, he crosses the river and he goes then into the wilderness which is the same representation as what the Israelites did coming from Egypt into the, the wilderness for 40 years. So he stayed, Jesus stayed there for 40 days and 40 nights and then he came back out and started his ministry. So that ministry then was in power, the power of the Holy Spirit. The power. So it was like the Elijah power, but you know, quadrupled, or maybe even, you know, a hundredfold. It was just in power. It was come, and he was coming from the position of this is the holy land, this is the promised land, this is where you are meant to be. I have brought you to this place. This is where I still want to bring you. So with that in in the back of our heads, because that's what they would have had, if we can go to the next slide, Kevin. This is what the wilderness would have looked like, that Jesus wandered around in, something like that, up and down and around and about. Now, sometimes we think of Jesus and being tempted in that wilderness. But you know what? if we can turn things around a little bit, sort of upend everything? What if, what really happened for Jesus in that wilderness when he was baptised, after he'd been baptised, was that he discovered the actual fullness of God, He discovered the Jehovah Jireh, the provision of God and the blessing of God. God hearing what was going on and then God providing. So Jesus came out of that wilderness more empowered, not because he was tempted, but because he knew what was going on, because he was able to feed on the word of God, feed on God while he was in that wilderness. So what is this saying to us? What's it starting to say? And I'm building here, I'll get to the the sheep thing in a minute. It's saying that we need also to do the same thing, whether it be metaphorically or physically. If you want to go there and do it, you can probably go and do it. What happens is through our baptism, through coming into relationship with God, we go through those waters, through that symbolic Jordan River, into sometimes what is a wilderness. But that wilderness is meant to be feeding us and sustaining us and giving to us and bringing us into a relationship that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we don't live by what we're feeding ourselves. Jesus discovered that. We're to discover it as well. With to feed on God and in that wilderness, and if you're in a wilderness time at the moment, you'll understand what's being asked of you. God is not wanting to persecute you. God is not wanting to hurt you or harm you. God is wanting to encourage you to come into a closer relationship with God, where God is everything, where God is your supply. We no longer have to rely on the things of the world for your sustenance, that all you need to do is lean on God and that's when you'll get the reward. Then you can go out into the world. Then your ty- your wilderness time might be over. Sometimes this gets called dark night of the soul, all sorts of different things. But it's in those times, those times and those places where we're blessed the most. Let me just talk to you a little bit about the offerings because I mentioned that the offerings weren't like that, that the, the, the sheep wasn't the offering for sin. So the burnt offering is probably the most likely one that the sheep would have represented. And the word used for burnt offering also means to ascend or go up. So that's important, to, to, and we'll probably come back to that quickly. I haven't got a whole lot of time, but to ascend or go up. So that's the word that's used in, in Genesis 28, 8, or 22.8 for, for burnt offering. It wasn't eaten, it was just simply burnt, and every trace of, of it was just burnt up. Nothing was meant to be left, although some, some scholars say that some of it the, the high priest or the priest would have eaten, which was the hind quarter, but most suggest that it would, that the whole lot went and it's considered a personal offering. This burnt offering is a personal offering and it's meant to be able to be used at any time. It was the most frequent offering. They they would burn offerings at least daily and a person could personally just want to go and honour God and give a burnt offering. So that offering was about, the burnt offering was about to ascend up, in other words, to not only have our prayers lifted up to God, but to have ourselves lifted so that we're closer to God, so that the communication is there, it's stronger and that we are able to understand and and experience more at a greater level with God. The offerings were made at at the doorway, these burnt offerings, at the doorway to the temple and that's That's important as well because what that means is that until you're able to burn off all that dross, all the stuff that stands between you and God, those things that don't quite work in our lives... And we know what those things are often. We might not know exactly what it is that we're doing wrong, but we get a sense of it. We know that things aren't quite right and we need to then start to address those things. And when we're in those places where we then address those things, we find that we're at that doorway to the temple. We can then give these things, give them up to God, burn them off, Allow God to burn them off to prepare us and make us clean and right so that we can then go in and worship. Because without that stuff, remember, we're still, we're still a bit polluted. We're still a bit polluted. And remember, God wants us clean. He wants us pure to be able to have relationship with him. So we're getting a bit of an indication here that the closest offering that it might have been was the burnt offering. And I'll just run over some of the others for you really, really um, quickly. The peace offering, the worshipper got a lot of the meat and ate in celebration. Sin or guilt offering, lambs were not generally used for these, as I've already said. And usually when the lambs are mentioned for a sin offering, they're usually females, so that doesn't go along with what we're talking about. The worshipper placed their hand on the slaughtered animal and then it went off into the wilderness. Um, It was not eaten and the blood was sprinkled around the the camp and outside and all sorts of different places. So the sacrifices, sacrifices were always done in the temple. So the closest thing that we can come to what John the Baptist was talking about, Jesus being the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, would be that he would be a burnt offering, a whole, the whole person, they also, with the burnt offering, they burnt the whole lamb, sheep, whatever it might have been, nothing left. So God demands of Jesus and demands of us, our whole being, body, soul, spirit, not just bits of us, not just us on Sundays, not just our spirit, not just our mind, not just our... Whatever, the whole lot of us. Another story is an example that you might, might sort of make a bit more sense of this. Okay, this is a story of um, Abraham and trying to when, when God had told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. That seems a bit of a peculiar thing to us, and we can't understand it, but this is probably one of the stories that actually associate what John the Baptist was talking about. And so the animal that was meant to be sacrificed, there was no animal, as you you know, so um, uh, Abraham's walking along, and he had to walk quite a distance to be able to get to where he went with Isaac and a couple of the other guys that were his helpers, and he got close to the place and said, oh, there it is. That's the place where God wants me to make the sacrifice. And so Isaac turns around and he says, oh, we've got the knife and we've got the, you know, the binding things to, be to bind the animal, but there's no animal. And then what they find is uh, God supplies a ram in the thicket. And we know that story. So, there's a ram there, a ram being a sheep, you know, of a kind, a a grown-up male sheep. So, the ram's there in the thicket and they use the ram then as a sacrifice. Now, that's probably the closest to the understanding of what this was all about. So, in other words, the covering of the sin, the sin which is, again, sin is... Let me explain what sin is. Sin is not really just something naughty that you do, and I've said this a number of times too, so you you probably already remember it. Sin is actually about missing the mark, missing the perfection of God, missing the, the good things that God's got in store for you, missing the right things. It can also be said in a different way that really rings true with some of our ways of saying things, and that is, You miss the point. You can miss the point by doing certain things, missing the point that God's got. God's got a point that he wants you to get to. He's got a a whole way of being that he wants you to get to and you can miss that point if you start doing some of the things that he doesn't want you to do. So that's just a little aside with regard to... to, um, To sin, So we've also then got the Passover lamb. That's another illustration that we might find that associates. But you see, when John said this, this was in the earlier days of Jesus' ministry and the latter time is when when Jesus shared the Passover at the Last Supper with his disciples. But even so, maybe the disciples, the early disciples and those that were John's disciples at the time, Saw what was going on and what John had said about Jesus, and they were able to carry that through to later. That being said, what happens at the Passover is that they're all sitting there and they've gone and they're prepared for everything, but there's no animal. They've got the bread and the wine, and they've got all the other, the table all set up for the celebration. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but it's supposed to be a Passover celebration. In the Passover, they're supposed to actually kill an animal and then eat the animal because that's what happened when the the angel of death passed over in Egypt before they they were sent out. They had to prepare and with unleavened bread. So they had unleavened bread and and they had the sheep that was slaughtered to be eaten. But here's Jesus about to celebrate the Passover and there's no sheep. The disciples must have been scratching their heads going, what's going on here? I don't get it. But what we're seeing again is a a picture, an illustration of the power of God in the fullness of this. So, Jesus was able to explain to the disciples when they drank and they ate, and we're going to do that shortly, when they drank the elements and ate the elements of communion, not called communion then, that that was his blood and his body. His body and his blood, representations of those. So in other words, he's saying, I am the Passover animal. I am that animal. I'm the one that can take you further. Now... The angel of death passing over is meaning you are going from, when you eat these elements or when you even think about and meditate on these elements, you are going from death to life. You are empowered by the spirit of God. Just as they went in the map that I showed you from Bethany across then into into the promised land, you are going... And they knew that they were going from death, the death that Egypt had for them, into new life, the promised land. So, plenty to think about. I'm going to leave it there for you. I want you to just be able to, through this coming week, try and ponder on some of those things. Challenge yourself. Why did then John call Jesus the Lamb of God when that was not the animal that was representative of a sin offering? I think it's because God wants us, is trying to show us how we can go from death to life full and abundant into the promised land of God, not just a location but a state of being and that our whole body, when we burn up our body metaphorically, when we burn off anything that remains there, then we are letting go. It's a canotic process, a letting go and letting God recreate us as new creations in Christ Jesus. So let's pray. God of the cosmos, God of the universe, God who looks after us and who looks after every other human being and every part of your creation, open up these scriptures to us in our spirit so that we might be able to understand at a deeper level, what you're communicating to us. Help us to see that what John the Baptist said is not a mistake. It's in fact an opportunity, an opportunity for us to be able to go so deep and travel beyond that sacrifice at the doorway of the temple, right into that inner sanctuary, right into the Holy of Holies. Help all of us that are here today, Lord, take that journey. Help us to use our minds, our spirits, and our emotions in the process, our whole being, and help us then to become a living sacrifice for you. So we thank Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus that he came to instruct us and teach us all about how to get closer and abide in you. So thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.